0: So sweaty in here, are you?
1: It is Okay, is this the show? Are we in it?
0: Hi, this is Rachel McRoy. Hi, this is
1: Griffin McRoy, and
0: this is wonderful. It's
1: getting sweaty, <laughs> it's not, that it doesn't feel that bad to me. You know what so it was? You're used to it. Mm, I had my big fat gaming rig pumping out pixels and frames. Coming at me hot and heavy. Master Chief was there. (laughs) Just so fucking, just pounding out the bad guys. And we were getting, it was getting hot and sweaty in here. So I apologize. It has a
0: very sparse office that has 700 pieces of electronic equipment in it.
1: So then one might actually argue it's not sparse at all. And in fact, (laughs) it is filled with electronic equipment. Yeah, that's true. I imagine if I get the PC running, I imagine if I get the 3D printer running all at the same time, it's just going to, it could be a sweat lodge. Mm -hmm. I could could go on a real journey in here. But I don't think it's that bad. And we're only in here for a little bit. So let's... And
0: I will also say that a lot of these electronics help you make a better podcast, which is a timely thing. Yeah. we are talking about better podcasting through... The maximum fun drive.
1: Maybe I wouldn't say that the, uh, the, the money that our uh, listeners have so kindly sent us over the years allowed me to enhance the podcast by buying a 3d printer I feel.
0: <laughs> i'm not talking about the 3d printer
1: no but there is plenty of stuff uh within shot of uh the of investments into the show you and all these
0: fancy microphones
1: sure the the i mean there's a power converter cleaner thing that i don't know what it does but apparently it makes things sound better there's all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. maximum slash join is the link you can go to if you want to support our show and the network at large uh it is the max fun drive going on right now uh i think we have this week and next week right and then it's it's over time's but- running out <laughs> you want to become a member of the network and you want uh the cool uh gifts that we have uh, arranged for folks who give it uh whatever level feels comfortable for you we'll go into those uh, a little bit later on in the show but uh yeah please help us out the turnout has been great but we still need help uh especially you know during these weird times where we are not touring and certain uh ways that we were making our living have become uh, completely cut off from us so once again maximumfund.org slash join you have a small wonder I can go first if you'd like. Please. We've been watching uh, Taskmaster, right? And we've talked about it like every week. We're just like really dog-pounding through that show. It's yeah. uh, a lot. And we are currently on the season with James A. Acaster on it, who I first became familiar with through uh, The Worst Idea of All Time. He was a guest on there several times, and I thought he was hysterical.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so I think it was last year, the year before last, we were on a trip looking for something to watch on TV and uh he had a four-part special on Netflix. How you now
0: talked about this called
1: Repertoire. I may have brought it as a small wonder before, but we we've started re-watching it again. Yeah uh, because it's so fucking funny. He's so funny. God almighty, he's funny. <laughs> it's really good stand-up. Uh so that's what I'll bring.
0: Uh I'm gonna say wearing my glasses again.
1: You have been wearing bespectacled more than uh, you usually are.
0: I had this lifestyle where I really only needed my glasses when I was in front of a computer. And I was only really in front of a computer when I was working. So I got in this habit of not wearing glasses unless I went to work. And that lasted for several months into this uh, pandemic. And then I just realized, you know why I wore glasses? Because they helped me see better and I liked the way they looked.
1: The traditional two (laughs) reasons for wearing glasses. I should,
0: even though I'm not leaving the house, maybe I should wear them again. So I uh, just got a little reminder of like, hey, that was functional and not just related to leaving the house.
1: Cool. (laughs) That doesn't make me worry about you (laughs) at all.
0: One day I'll get to wearing uh, pants that are not cozy, but I'm not there yet.
1: You wore jeans to like run out somewhere uh, on on one of our few excursions out of the house. And you were like, it was like watching (laughs) a baby giraffe learn to walk again. There was something about the stiffness of the fabric that you were just... (laughs) Not used to. I think the second you cross the threshold back into our yeah, house, I had to remove those. you just ripped you ripped them off like you're a professional <laughs> wrestler. Like no way. Uh, I go first this week. I would like to talk to you about a subject that I don't know, uh, you probably have some passing familiarity with, but you certainly do not uh, I believe have a deep, deep admiration for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Oh. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, named after the professional skateboarder Tony Hawk. Uh, what's your What's your exposure to Tony Hawk? What's I was your... trying
0: to think. So, as as we've mentioned before on the show, I was not a Nintendo household. Oh, no. Uh, and I pretty much stopped playing video games once I entered high school, which was late 90s. So, yes. my exposure to Tony Tony Hawk actually didn't happen until college uh, when my friends hit this like nostalgia tour of eBay that involved getting old games.
1: Right. Well, at that point, it wouldn't have been too super old because the first Tony Hawk came out in 1999. Okay. Uh, so well, you just and this barely was, missed the
0: Yeah. This was like 2003 or so when I was like, oh, what is this Tony Hawk?
1: Okay. Uh, I mean, 2003 is still, uh, I would argue, the prime of the Tony Hawk series. There were yeah. a ton of Tony Hawk games. The first one came out on PlayStation Nintendo 64 and Dreamcast back in 1999, and it spawned this whole series that went on for a very, very, very long time uh, until some more recent attempts to make and Tony brought, Hawk games have been terrible. And brought
0: skateboarding terminology into American oh, households sure. across Christ, the country. Christ
1: air became a sort of uh, household phrase. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, 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 it was a... I realized after... Um, what was the other one I did? I, oh, God, I can't remember. Uh, it's like a cultural sort of phenomenon... Situation like it is uh, NBA Jam is another sort of like great uh, uh, like example of this just like. Uh, I feel like I didn't play video games like this. And then Tony Hawk's Pro Skater came out and I was like, all I could think about, all I could play for a very, very long time because me and my group of friends got extremely into Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And it did like familiarize the world with skateboarding in a way that, uh, you know, indie skateboarding tapes or the X Games or whatever had never really had the crossover appeal to do. Yeah,
0: you just knew about the pants. You just what? The skateboarding pants. The big pants.
1: The what the skateboarding pants? The
0: skateboarding kids, they wore the big pants.
1: I guess so. And the vans? Ah, uh, the vans I'll give you. I don't know about big skateboard are you talking about Jinko jeans? Yes. I don't think those were. I don't think that was the dominion of I feel skateboarders. Like that was the skater law. Okay, uh, we could go back and forth about <laughs> Jinko jeans. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, 1999. You controlled one of uh, any number of actual pro skaters. I'm trying to remember. I bet if I sat here for like 10 minutes, I could remember most. Bob Burnquist was one of them. Uh, oh my god! I, shamefully, I'm I'm blanking. There's so many. Uh, and you play in a series of levels, and there are different goals in the career mode of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater to accomplish like uh you know achieve a certain score in 2 minutes or go find this hidden VHS tape which is delicious <laughs> uh or uh the most common one was collect all the letters in the word skate in order to uh, accomplish mm. that goal and as the series went on the career mode evolved and became like way more in depth with like a lot more stuff to do to do uh all the way up to Tony Hawk's Underground which was my personal favorite where you actually created a skater uh you could i think take a picture of your face with a digital camera and at that point uh it would you'd save it onto a floppy disk and then put that floppy disk in your computer and then like email it to this specific email address that the game would generate for you assuming your playstation (laughs) 2 could connect to the internet and you could rip it it took forever but then like that's griffin and he's wearing a beanie and he's really good at skateboarding just like me and you could like invest money in do you your think board that's where you guys got the
0: idea for monster factory do you think that was the
1: i mean we did a tony hawk game on yeah. monster factory so that that's very full circle if so um that like the career mode was like so dope like we would go through and accomplish every goal even when like the levels were super annoying it would take us so 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 much time to do it uh that tony hawk's underground game by the way was so great because it also had a map editor and uh, uh, our friend Justin uh, made Huntington, West Virginia, in the map editor in Tony Hawk's Underground. We probably spent maybe three hundred hours total, like playing <laughs> in Huntington. Even like we we knew like every single square inch of it, and all the like in joke references like that that were in there from like the little NPCs who would give you the missions to do things. Uh, and we just spent so much time playing that game, but that reminds me of like the best thing personally speaking about tony hawk's pro skater was the multiplayer was so good it was so good because it had the, like, things you'd expect, like uh, two people do skateboarding for two minutes and we see who can get the higher score. There was also graffiti mode, where every time you did a trick on, like, a ramp or something, you would change that ramp to your color, and whoever had the most objects oh. at the end of time, uh, that was their color won, but you could also steal an opponent's object by doing a better trick on it. Uh, wow. So there's like, a lot of strategy to it. That was really fun. The one we spent the most time playing was horse, where it set you in front of like a, a ramp or a grinding yeah. rail or something like that and said you had 10 seconds to like do a trick and who you know you set the score and then the other person had to beat it and then they could set the score and then it just went back and forth and back and forth like that i'm not like i was thinking about this while i was prepping this segment and like the sense memory of just like on a saturday after like a sleepover just playing horse in tony hawk pro skater one or two or underground or whatever like for the entire day like that's just all we we snacked on something in the Edo family and just <laughs> played tony hawk horse just like nonstop. can i ask you so with these good. tricks
0: this is what i never understood yeah the tricks was it like a memorization of which buttons in which order or were you just mashing
1: oh no i mean maybe when you started out you were just mashing but uh you know they would add certain things to each title but the core dna of like what you did in tony hawk like never changed the square button did flips the circle buttons did grabs triangle was i never learned that yeah and so how
0: are people doing these things i had no idea
1: uh, yeah and so so you know over time you would learn how to you know do a kick flip off a ramp and then as you were landing do a, like a manual so that you could link it to the next trick so you could grind and by Ooh. the end of it like by the by the time we hit like Tony Hawk's Underground 2 me and my friends were just like bored gods where <laughs> we would just like hit. I'm not kidding we would have we would play horse but if you were still doing your trick after the 10 seconds ran out you could do it you could keep going until the, the you, you finished your trick either landed it or crashed so we'd grind in a circular pool for like eight minutes <laughs> just going th- through and getting like a trillion points and then saying like okay your turn uh it was so satisfying and so good and it just introduced like a new kind of game into our like already pretty robust video game vocabulary and I think that that's like really neat every time that I feel like I can pinpoint the exact times that that happened throughout like my history of playing games and Tony Hawk Pro Skater was like such a huge like yeah. landmark thing uh, and of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the soundtrack. The soundtrack no, to the Tony Hawk's Pro gosh. Skater games was a collection of uh, <laughs> mostly punk and ska music. Yes, uh, that is so, so like. Mm, so delectable so memorable that you
0: didn't have more of an affection for ska based on the music in tony hawk
1: well i that was the only ska i really uh, <laughs> enjoyed i would say yeah i never really went through a uh, a ska phase uh despite how many like sort of checkerboard uh items of clothing i would say that i owned <laughs> at various times um but God, it was, it was, it was iconic. Like it was like the, these, these songs were, I also didn't go through a punk phase, mm-hmm. but I did go through a Tony Hawk pro skater phase where I would it's probably, listen to a lot of uh, probably songs. because
0: you were never much of a, a rude boy. I was ne- I would, which is a ska
1: joke. I know I got it. <laughs> um, I don't think I even need to play any of the songs here on the show because I think I can just sort of psychically inject it into mm-hmm. the minds of everybody. Oh, who, yeah. So I can just say like Superman by Goldfinger and it's just like
0: <laughs> you're there
1: it's just you're there you're there with me uh they did a remake of tony hawk pro skater one and two a few years ago that wasn't very good but they're just doing it again this year i think just another remake of tony hawk's pro skater one and two so maybe this <laughs> one will be good but i, I mean you
0: still play as tony hawk and and is he old
1: uh i think so i think he can probably play as like his kid i think his kid's also a skateboarder Aww. at this point uh, tony hawk is also like pretty solid i did an interview with him once when i was still yeah. writing uh about video games and it was like a weird uh thing because like i have no knowledge about the guy himself aside from like what buttons i can press to make him do <laughs> kick flips. uh but he was very he, he is very funny and very self-deprecating yeah there's like a long list of uh times that he has cited of people like not knowing who he is despite the fact that he is like kind of a household name
0: yeah
1: uh it's delightful what is your first thing
0: my first thing yep is caves?
1: Oh yeah, caves. Very afraid of them, but cool things. These caves.
0: <laughs> Much like uh, Texas is the Lone Star State, yeah, and West Virginia is the Mountain State. Missouri Cave State. You're kidding me. Mm-mm.
1: Didn't know it was so porous.
0: Over six thousand caves in this in this state. Holy shit, that's a mm-hmm. lot of caves. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always really liked caves.
1: Yeah, caves are great. The best thing about caves is the verb for exploring them is one of the best words I would say in the entire English language. Did you
0: know, actually, the formation and development of caves is known as spelogenesis.
1: Spelogenesis, which is,
0: I guess, where spelunking comes from.
1: Probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you did you do a lot of spelunking growing no. up?
0: No, oh, no, okay. we just walked through paved arm,
1: arm rail caves. Oh no, I would count that as spelunking.
0: Oh really? I thought spelunking I thought was like you're rappelling, you've got gear and you're got a little headlamp.
1: Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I went into a cave. I wouldn't call that cave hiking. There's a word when for it. Spelunking. you describe your cave
0: experience seemed very rogue. It seemed very like like, DIY cave exploring.
1: I had a couple times of DIY cave exploring. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly at uh, our youth pastor's farmhouse. Yeah. Had caves, like, in the back that we would just, like, just dip into with flashlights mm-hmm. until we got very afraid, which didn't take very long. But there was also Carter Caves, which I want to say was in Kentucky somewhere, mm-hmm. that was, l- like you are describing, like, guided paths yeah. through, like, really genuinely gorgeous, gorgeous caverns. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, most caves are solutional caves or also called karst caves, uh, which is when the rock is soluble, soluble. So like limestone,
1: right. chalk,
0: marble, you know, when it can be worn down by,
1: by water. Right. What is um, the, what is the, how could any other cave be formed?
0: Well, there's like volcanic caves too.
1: Oh, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Where there was like a volcanic channel of lava that like yeah. over time went on. Huh. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Uh, caves in general, though, can't be more than 9,800 feet vertical below the surface. Just with the pressure of rock, if it's like deeper than that, oh. it would like collapse in on itself.
1: Yeah. Oh, and here it comes. Now my like claustrophobia <laughs> is kicking in.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to tell how old a cave is, um, but there are what they call isotopic dating techniques where you can look at the cave sediments. Hmm. To see kind of kinda of like rings on a tree, like you look and, and examine the,
1: right. the cave dirt. I imagine the results are just always like old as fuck. Old this cave. cave is so old you would not nobody's ever like, Oh shit, this cave is this cave is two months old.
0: Huh. Wild. <laughs> um uh, I want to talk about my particular cave close to my heart. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is Merrimack Caverns in Missouri.
1: That's, I've heard of this.
0: Yeah, there are billboards freaking everywhere yeah. around Missouri, which is probably why you're familiar with it. If you've driven anywhere in Missouri or surrounding states, you have seen a billboard for this cave. What's so great about this cave? Um, well, it's existed for the past 400 million years.
1: Okay. Which
0: is pretty big. Um there's also a lot of lore surrounding it, which I will get to, but I will say it is four point six miles of cave underground. Wow. Which is a lot of cave. Um there's a lot of caves in Missouri worth mentioning, but Merrimack is kind of the the showpiece. Mm-hmm. Um part of it is because there is a structure in it. Um, that they call uh, the Wine Table,
1: Ooh. which is th-
0: the world's rarest cave formation. It is an onyx table that stands six feet high and is supported on three natural legs. Wow.
1: hmm Impressive.
0: <laughs> it's a fancy cave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the story of the cave is kind of fun. It's got a real circus quality to it. Um <laughs> The big story, and they'll tell you this when you do a tour of the cave, is is it was supposedly a hideout for Jesse James.
1: I feel like every cave <laughs> has a,
0: yeah. Um, Back in uh, the 1870s, the legend is that a sheriff tracked James and his brother to the cave waiting for him to emerge. But then he found another exit throughout the cave and escaped. Wow. Um, But I think who really kind of made it famous is Lester P p or lester b dill uh who was the big showman for the cave um he invented the bumper sticker as a means of promoting the caves
1: he was the first one to do bumper sticker okay Mm -hmm. all of a sudden all these fucking billboards make sense Uh
0: uh-huh um he in the 1930s started traveling the country offering to paint farmers barns for free as long as he could paint merrimack caverns on the roof At one point, 400 barn billboards existed in 40 states and 75 still remain today.
1: So this is more a segment about like uh, (laughs) uh, the inventor of mass advertising.
0: Um, They also, this is what is hilarious. In 1960, they rented billboard space in the cave. Seems excessive. (laughs) And they claimed it was the only underground billboard in the world. (laughs) Okay.
1: So then they had billboards other places like, come see the only underground billboard in the world. (laughs)
0: um they also like in missouri they advertise it as like jesse james's hideout
1: yeah in Caverns. Oof, wow
0: um it's it's kind of charming it, it's funny like when family and relatives would come to visit we would take them to onondaga which was like a classier kind of cave experience like <laughs> yeah. more, more national park <laughs> you know like america's you know, wilderness kind of feel. Merrimack Caverns is like Branson.
1: It's where they basically. get funnel cakes in the cave. <laughs> There's just natural funnel cake formations growing inside.
0: Um, they have several rooms of the cave that they have named based around, like, the theme behind that room. I mentioned the wine room where the wine table is located, that, you
1: know, rarest cave right, formation. Sure.
0: Uh, They also have a greatest show under Earth room where they do a light show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I doubt that that unless they've been doing some serious updates to this light show, I doubt it still holds that title.
0: And then there's the Hollywood room. So there was a movie called Tom Sawyer in 1973. That starred Jodie Foster as Becky Thatcher, and they get lost in a cave, and that is filmed in Merrimack Caverns. Also, an episode of Lassie was filmed in that part of the cave. They Whoa. still talk about that on the tour That's today.
1: Sad and great <laughs> and perfect.
0: Um, and just to give you like some Missouri folksiness, like the tour guides will kind of take you through these rooms and they'll kind of tell you things. And I mentioned the wine room. On the tour they will tell this joke that you know it was called the wine room for the wine table but it is now called the wine room because of the whining that visitors do when they learn the room is only accessible after climbing
1: 58 stairs. <laughs>
0: Doesn't that just put you on the tour? Don't you feel I like you're really on the tour I really just right went now? on a
1: fucking, like, my own personal mental jungle cruise sort of situation.
0: <laughs> my biggest thing that I remember, and my parents always found it kind of funny, like, is, so it's, it's paved, you walk in, there's a gift shop in the cave. Perfect. And... At some point, they they sing the Star Spangled Banner and they have a flag wave. At some point in the tour, I want to say it's the end of the tour. I don't know if they still do this, but just to really bring home the kind of like patriotism and splendor of this whole, <laughs> they like full on like play and have a flag wave.
1: This whole loves America. America <laughs> loves this whole. I'm I'm like traveling back to like. I was remembering while you were talking about a trip we took to Ruby Falls in Chattanooga, mm-hmm. and I like have all these memories of like doing a rock tumbler thing and like, yeah. uh, some, There's something with like we did actual panning for gold and like all these things around Ruby Falls, which is like this sort of touristy underground yeah. waterfall situation. But now I'm also having this like Mandela effect situation where I can't remember if that's a trip I actually went on or not, <laughs> or if that's just like a thing I remember like my brother's doing on some, like I, I know I needed to t- ask them about this. Yeah. I think it's a nice waterfall. I don't remember. We, um, we
0: used to go to this cave like every year, partially cause it's a great summertime activity. Cause it's like so 60 cool. degrees. It's so nice. Um, and also, it's just I don't know. I, there's something really cool, like the stalactites, stalagmites, the whole the whole thing of caves, the water in there, uh, these just like incredible drips and structures and bats. And-
1: the acoustic like reality of yeah. being in a cave is like the most incredible thing about it for me. Like, uh, we, yeah, when we used to do sort of unauthorized spelunking in our yeah. uh, you know farmland caves, uh, the it's like those. Uh, I, I'm really fascinated by. Uh, like a k- anti noise chambers that yeah. like si- like are scientifically like completely devoid of sound, and so you go inside, and soon like the sound of your own heartbeat is so loud yeah. that you like can't. I feel like caves kind of have that going on in a way that I find very like. I thought
0: hypnotic. I thought the love of caves was so deep that I could take a geology class in college and it would be successful for me. That was not the case. No, turns out there are more than just a few types of rocks. Basalt, and I just I couldn't hang.
1: No one's got time for you, basalt. <laughs> is basalt rela- related to salt? Is 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 it?
0: I don't even know the word you're saying. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, I may be saying it wrong. Is the other the other problem? Mm-hmm. So just a couple primo, just do, <laughs> just do, real rockheads over here. A, yeah. Uh, hey, can I steal you away? Can I steal you away? Yes.
0: to get 50% off.
1: Well, looks like we got a couple of and I would love to read this first one if you don't mind. Please. I haven't looked at it. So uh, it's from Tess4nate, says, congratulations to my wonderful boyfriend, Nate, for finishing his master's in electrical and computer engineering. I'm so proud of you for all the hard work you put in, especially when you had to take classes at home. Wherever you end up working, I know you will do great. I love you so much, my top scientist. Don't forget to drink water. I don't know if that was for, um, I don't know if that was for Nate or for us or for just the audience, uh, but I do appreciate that Tess uh, added in, uh, do you have particular pronunciations you need to clarify, which is the service we offer all of our uh, Jumbotron writers. Scientist isn't a typo, it's just scientist with a sh sound at the start. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do not
0: correct that this. this is an important part of the message.
1: Fantastic. No, that was mostly me saying that so people didn't think I made a goof-em-up.
0: No, no, no. I appreciated that she gave us that guidance so we didn't somehow gloss over it on sure, accident. Sure, of course. Uh, can I read the next one? Yes. This message is for Daniel. It is from Nicole. Dear Daniel, I entered to win this Jumbotron on July 3rd. Then that evening you proposed to me. Oh. I need more than 350 characters to express all the reasons you are wonderful. But to sum it up, thank you for being my best friend and for blessing my life. I love every inch of you and then some. P.S. Thanks, Mike, for introducing us both to the McElroys. Ooh, a two Ooh, message in one there. In, and
1: then we frown on that, the secret, <laughs> the sne- the deception. This
0: is for Daniel. Mike, get
1: out of here. Get the hell out of here, Mike. We're not going to tell you again. You pay for your own freaking message. <laughs> One sweet missive at a time, folks, or else they all get mixed up in our heads.
0: Can I hear your second thing?
1: Yes, my second thing I think you will find much more relatable than Mr. Hawk and his uh, aerial sort of journey. Uh, I want to talk about, wow, I am really, you could carbon date this episode based on the (laughs) topics uh, we've selected so far. I am going to talk about Rilo Kylie because I've been getting like nonstop like uh, uh, Facebook Ads or whatever I think back in I want to say like 2004 I like did for the first and only time like likes on Facebook it's like what are the movies you like it's like well um, Lost in Translation that's like where I was at Uh, and now to this day it's like happy 50th birthday lost in translation It's like i need to get just get rid of all of this because it is not (laughs) what i use facebook but rilo kiley is one of those things and they are re-releasing their first self-titled lp which is like incredibly rare i've never heard it before uh and as far as i can tell it's like not on the internet anywhere so um it just reminded me how much i really like rilo kiley um Particularly two albums, uh, there was uh, Execution of All Things and More Adventurous, which I think came out in 2000 and 2004. Uh, and I just, wow, uh, listening to those albums while preparing this segment was, again, just a really, really good great little time capsule but it also led to like kind of a realization about myself and my music taste that i found very interesting uh if you've never heard rilo kiley you uh first of all it's a fucking lie because they've been uh they've had their songs in everything uh i have a, an extensive list of tv shows that their music appeared in uh but they were a, an early aughts rock uh band they were on Suk records which was an indie record label in seattle that had uh that was it's probably pound for pound my favorite like collection of musicians to ever exist uh, Barsook had Death Cab Harvey Danger uh, They Might Be Giants uh, Rilo Kiley Maps and Atlases uh, Fantagram was on there uh, and The Long Winters were also on Barsook Records uh, and I think like a lot of like Seattle rock bands Rilo Kiley was very guitar forward and very um, uh, just sort of like you know loud and melodic it was led by Jenny Lewis uh, who has gone on to have an incredibly like successful career? Uh, since then, we saw her in concert at uh, Austin City Limits. We did, which yeah. was uh, very fun. Uh, but I first sort of like became aware of her music through Rilo Kiley, like I think most folks did. I actually started listening to Rilo Kiley because somebody told me uh, that the uh, that that Jenny Lewis was in The Wizard she played yeah. like the the i can't remember her the name The girl the girl i guess the <laughs> one girl uh that goes across the country playing video games um and uh i want to just i guess start by playing one of their biggest songs which is off the album more adventurous called portions for foxes Heaven. Didn't know this, it's that that song is named after a very like obscure Bible verse. It's also like a, one of the catchier songs I've ever heard about like a really unhealthy physical relationship. Uh, and I, I like there's something about that juxtaposition of it being a very fun, very poppy, very memorable, catchy song, uh, about like kind of a, a toxic situation between people that feels very Rilo Kylie and feels very like, yeah, of the music from that era. Uh, there's just something really clean about that song. Like um, Ginny Lewis's voice is like incredible and she can like alternate between these very kind of vulnerable verses to just like wailing through the yeah, choruses. Yeah. But I also feel like uh, the guitars of this band are, are is, is, it's so incredible. Everybody played guitar, not at the same time, but like everybody was a multi-instrument, multi-instrumentalist. Uh, and, and so that's why it's very guitar forward. And I feel like I could do all the guitar parts from this song like with my mouth right now (laughs) uh and that i think is like indicative of 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 the seattle like rock music that was coming out in that genre and thinking about it like listening to this band and listening to to the, the music again this morning and then also looking back over the history of uh bands that i've talked about on this show i always it was always a subject that i was interested in this idea of when i am older uh I'm talking about like when I was in my teens or whatever, looking forward, like when I'm older, what is going to be like the crystallized uh, era of music or the crystallized like uh, canon of music that is like my, the, the like music that I identify with, or the one that I like really think established my like core musical likes and dislikes, right? And looking back, like my i, I my mom and dad were like, into uh chicago and sly and the family stone and um and steely dan yeah and like these bands and and whenever we went on a trip or something uh i remember we stayed with our friends the stutlers once and they had a record player and they spent the whole weekend playing records and it was like the same you know four or five bands yeah and but they all knew every word and i became like really interested in like okay so this is like this is your guys music like this is the yeah. And, you know, there there was that for people who grew up in the 90s who are like, yeah, grunt, like came up through grunge. And it's just like, yeah. that was my... And looking back, I think like that 2002 to 2005 era is where uh, all of my musical tastes really crystallized. Yeah. And I think listening to Rilo Kylie, it's like, that was kind of the sound it crystallized around.
0: Yeah. I made a mistake, I think, while I was in college. I mean, it wasn't a mistake, but... I became friends with a group of people who exposed me to a lot of music, but they exposed me to a lot of music that had already happened. Yeah, And so my my window in college, I missed a lot of those like new artists. I yeah. mean, I, heard, I would hear some of them on the college radio station, but mostly I was hanging out in a group of people who were like, hey, have you heard much Stone Temple Pilots? And I was like, yeah, sure, let's go back. <laughs> Let's go back to then. And I kind of missed the music of the period. It was only like several years later that I heard Rilo Kylie. I
1: I very much lucked out because I was in that camp uh, all through high school. The only bands I listened to were like, they might be giants and Bin folds. Yeah. Uh, And then in like my freshman year of college, I hung out with like mostly like hipsters who, uh, some of which are very dear friends, some of which turned out to be very unsavorably individuals, but their impact on like my musical taste is like very clear because they sort of broke me out of that, that echo chamber and showed me a bunch of music. Some of which I found completely intolerable, but some of which like Rilo Kylie and clap your hands, say yeah. And, uh wolf parade and like all of these bands that, yeah. and and uh uh um TV on the radio is one of those like all of that mm. stuff really came about in in i guess it was college right i guess it was yeah I guess it was around that time uh and that is it's it is strange for me to reflect on like that's that's when I've found the music that I'm going to like, like yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just think Rilo Kylie is like a per, it falls perfectly. It is the median of that, like yeah. that, that interest. Uh, okay. So the songs that, that Rilo Kylie had uh, music in the, the shows rather that, um, that they had songs in uh, Dawson's Creek Buffy the Vampire Slayer Six Feet Under Gilmore Girls The O.C. Grey's Anatomy uh, One Tree Hill Dollhouse 90210 and Wedding Crashers they had a song on the soundtrack for Wedding Crashers wow. so just like all of it
0: that is a very specific time period it's Exa- like see yeah. it's, it, it, it is a, <laughs> It
1: is crystallized around the crystal it's like <laughs> it's like yeah. a four year window yes it mm-hmm. is a, a perfect four year window that is like uh, I don't know just where a lot of my musical interests lie uh, and uh, yeah Riley Kylie great great aspect band they broke up and i think like 2011 2012 and have sort of flirted with you know doing a tour here or uh putting out like an ep here uh but yeah these two albums specifically if you've never listened to them uh check out uh more adventurous and execution of all things uh which came out in 2002 and uh, to leave us off i want to play spectacular views off that album just felt very much like NPR. <laughs> Let's listen to Spectacular Views of 2002's The Execution of All Things. What's your second thing?
0: Uh, before I do my second thing, should we say something else about Max Fun Drive?
1: I think we absolutely should say something else mm-hmm. about Max Fun Drive.
0: Can we talk about the levels, maybe.
1: Yes, let's talk about the levels. So, okay. uh, whatever level you are comfortable uh, uh, giving at, we we fully recognize that it is a uh, a weird and bad time. Uh, but whatever support you are able to give, we very very much appreciate. And uh, if you give at five dollars a month, you are going to get access to all of the bonus content, over two hundred hours of bonus content yeah, for and all that the bonus shows.
0: Bonus content keeps dropping. I just listened to Lords of Crunch the other day.
1: Lords of crunch and yes it is a delight that is the adventure zone live show that justin dm'd using a serial based game that he created himself it is a a plus it is a wild wild journey that one uh there is so much bonus content and if you enjoy our shows uh and you have not listened to it you are missing out on a lot a lot a lot a lot of stuff and that's five dollars a month ten dollars a month you get access to an enamel pin uh designed after the show of your choice by megan lynn Cott. they are beautiful Beautiful pins. Yeah, uh, so when,
0: when you donate, uh, you can select all the shows that you listen to uh, to receive part of your donation. You can also select whatever pin you want. Yes. Uh, so, you know obviously we're gonna push our wonderful pin but there are a lot of great pins out there great pins great for shows for you to choose from uh,
1: yeah that's the great thing about uh, when you when you join the network you do choose uh, exactly MaxFun takes a, a portion of the uh, of, of what you give uh, to you know keep the lights on and support us in the ways that they support us but then you elect to give like specifically to the shows that yeah. you listen to it's a very and so
0: we'd encourage folks who are gonna continue their donation to still log in and maybe update with the new shows you're listening to yeah
1: of course we also uh, we also just doing boosting this year so like if you don't want to jump from the uh ten dollar donation level where you get the um where you get the the uh the pin and a membership card and the uh bonus content but you don't want to jump up to twenty dollars you know you can do twelve, you can do thirteen, yeah. You can do whatever. If that reflects like how much you've been listening to our shows, then that's awesome. Twenty dollars a month, you get the, uh, you get the card. You, you're gonna get the uh, pin. You're gonna get the bonus content. You also get a Max Fun game pack that yeah. has a bunch of really cool shit in it, like dice and, some, and yeah, cards, and some
0: cards and yeah, it's other cool. neat
1: stuff. There's other uh, levels that you can give at, which you can see again at maximumfun.org/slash/join. Uh, but yeah, if you're thinking about doing it, you know, there's not much time left in the drive, so we would encourage you to just go. Do it now. Doesn't take very long. And um, we really, really, really appreciate you. It has... You don't want
0: to know what my voice sounds like without this beautiful microphone.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: And we need those donations to get these beautiful microphones. Let
1: me plug in the old microphone real quick so you can hear what Rachel's old voice sounds like. Griffin. (laughs) Why would a different... It's time for me to do my second thing. But why would a different... Are you going to do the whole second thing in that voice or should I switch the mic back? No. All right. Let me plug this other mic in. Crash. I dropped it on the floor and it broke. (laughs) So now you do have to do the whole second segment like that. Oh, no. And if we're going to buy a new good microphone, we need folks to go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Here, you can use my microphone and I'll use the bad one. Okay, babe. Go on (laughs) right ahead.
0: My second thing. Is n- 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 Nick Nickelodeon. All right. <laughs> Can we share this microphone so you stop sounding like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Are we talking about the whole freaking channel? Yes. Okay. And You not- have
0: talked about are you afraid of the dark? We we have Ooh. addressed Snick.
1: Okay, Snick's gotten its time in the spotlight.
0: We have not talked about the network as a whole.
1: God, that fe- I'll be honest, babe, that feels ambitious. That feels that feels like a lot to cover in one segment.
0: Well, I'm not I'm not doing a I'm not doing a whole book here.
1: Okay. There probably is. I would read the hell out of a book yeah,
0: about Yeah, I old would too. Okay. Uh Nickelodeon was the first network devoted entirely to kids programming.
1: Really? Wow.
0: I know you'd think PBS, right? But PBS had adult programming. Oh yeah, sure, two. no, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was conceptualized by Dr. Vivian Horner, uh who worked for the Bank Street College of Education and launched in Columbus, Ohio. Huh.
1: There's a lot about Nickelodeon. I would have thought for sure it launched at Universal Studios.
0: It officially launched uh, on April 1st, 1979.
1: Whoa, holy shit. What? Yeah. It didn't launch in like 1991?
0: No. I mean, that's when we're familiar with it, but it was around before What was on
1: Nick before we were watching it?
0: So Nickelodeon started with a show called Pinwheel. Oh, yeah. Okay. uh, Which was similar to Sesame Street. There were uh, action scenes in a Victoria style boarding house with Muppets.
1: Okay, and or puppets would be more appropriate. Sure, I think. yeah. Um, Muppets are the Jim Henson estate is very litigious. When
0: Pinwheel was phased out, it was replaced by Eureka's
1: Castle. I was going to say, now I remember Eureka's Castle. Yeah, that's Castle. what you probably you're thinking. Of. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: um I loved Nickelodeon, like as a kid, mm-hmm. like to have oh, a network yeah. that I could just turn on and anything was for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, literally anything that came on the... I can't think of another TV network that was ever like that. And I think, Nick, I aged out of it at some point, but Mm. there was a channel that you could just turn it on and it would have
0: That was like, when we got cable, that was like my number one destination. Absolutely. Um, It, as I mentioned, just started with the one show. uh, And when they started to build out their programming, it was still only from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m., um, and then it would switch to the movie channel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, that, <laughs> that makes, makes sense. That makes sense, right? sure.
0: um, it, The kind of the hallmark that kind of started it and kind of gave the origin to the green slime that is associated with Nickelodeon is the Canadian sketch comedy. You can't do that on television.
1: That was, okay. 1981
0: yes. is when that started. On Nick. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, that was its American debut was on
1: Nickelodeon. Okay. Interesting. Fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that probably established the grand tradition of Canadian television shows joining the Nick mm-hmm, network because mm-hmm. most live action shows that were on Nick were Canadian in origin.
0: Um, the green slam also, as you'll recall, uh, showed up in double Dare.
1: double dare showed mm-hmm. up in, uh, figure it out and, and the
0: Nickelodeon kids choice awards which oh, started yeah. in 1988.
1: That, yeah, I guess there was lots mm-hmm. of slime being flung around. I, I imagine Mr. Jim Carrey uh, ingested an unconscionable amount of slime during his many appearances on that ro- award show. Uh,
0: <laughs> so Nickelodeon started with no advertising. Much like PBS, it was just children's programming. When it wasn't children's programming, like the interstitial uh, was actually a uh, person dressed as a mime. Okay. <laughs> Uh, When it was commercial-free service, uh, it was a male mime uh, portrayed a character uh, doing tricks in front of a black background in between programs. How did they get money to make the network? So that was the problem. I could
1: have freaking told you that, Nickelodeon. By
0: 1984, they were operating at a loss of $10 million. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They did a rebranding that year, uh, and within six months, it became the dominant channel in children's programming. Uh, they rebranded themselves as the first kids network because that was when Disney Channel and Cartoon Network were coming up. Okay. And that's when they started doing traditional advertising All right. as well. I mean, if you think about it, the Origins, as I mentioned, uh was um, you know, with with a woman who focused on education, you know, and so she's focusing very much in the Sesame Street vein of what, what is going to be beneficial to kids' education. As they operated at a loss, it became what is going to keep us in business. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, in uh, 1985, uh, also to keep kind of viewership high is when they launched Nick at Night. So that was all when right. you got like the Donna Reed show, Bewitched, all those kind of older shows so that adults would keep watching it. Yeah, in the
1: that was when we would just turn it off. Yeah. Because <laughs> those shows were boring as hell. As soon and as it went
0: black and white, it was like, oh, this nope, isn't for me. Tonight. Bye. <laughs> um 1990 nickelodeon studios came about okay which was always like the big prize for double dare Mm -hmm. was that you could go to nickelodeon did you ever get to did you ever go no did you
1: yeah i mean it was at universal studios in orlando florida Mm -hmm. so if you went to if you went to universal uh you could do it i remember we went and they were filming the mystery files of shelby woo and it was like the fucking coolest shit ever
0: that's cool i got
1: i got some special limited edition (laughs) gack I got a special secret Gak that I took home to all my friends. I was like, guys, look, it's it's thermodynamic. So it's purple and you slap your hand into it. And it turns oh, white. Oh, wow. I think they eventually released that on the market. But I was first on my block with, with Hot Gak. All my friends were like, is that Hot Gak? I was like, yeah, I played with it while I watched the mystery files of Shelby Woo in person. <laughs>
0: um nickelodeon studios closed in 2005 and was converted into the blue man group theater in 2007 (laughs) a shame a heartbreaker uh this is also around the time they did nickelodeon magazine which i had forgotten about but was a result of a multi-million dollar joint marketing agreement with pizza hut okay and so nickelodeon magazine was available for free at pizza hut i don't remember that
1: damn i wish i had that hot tip i loved that magazine
0: um, the reason you think Nickelodeon came about in the early '90s is because that's when they started with Doug and Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy, right? And Rocco's Modern Life, yeah.
1: Uh, the Four Horsemen,
0: and then <laughs> and then a year later was Nick. So that was Are You Afraid of the Dark? Clarissa explains it all. All that the Amanda Show, Keenan and Kel. Boy, which uh, launched the careers of Keenan Thompson, Amanda Bynes, and Jamie Lynn Spears.
1: And Cal Mitchell. In a different direction, but sure.
0: Uh, Nickelodeon released its first feature-length film in 1996 with Harriet the Spy. Oh, God, yes. Mm-hmm. Went on to earn twice its $13 million budget. And then two years later, the Rugrats movie, which grossed more than $100 million. jeez, geez. Became the first non-Disney animated movie to surpass
1: that amount. Uh... Are you, are you going to talk about Nick News with Linda Ellerby? I am not going to talk Let's about Nick News. Let's just save that because that's a whole segment in and of itself. Yeah, Nick we Nick News should with talk Linda Ellerby that. is the fucking coolest shit that Nick ever did. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll save We'll that. circle back to Linda.
0: Uh, I was just going to end with uh, 1999 where the channel previewed SpongeBob SquarePants directly after the Kids' Choice Awards became the most popular Nicktoon in the channel's history. Uh, Consistently ranking as the highest-rated series for Nickelodeon since 2000, by 2001, a third of the series audience was made up of adults.
1: Wow! (laughs) I think I missed that by a by a hair's. Yeah,
0: SpongeBob was after my time
1: for. But now Henry's been watching it, and it's great because it's like fucking funny. Like it's very, it's very, Mm. it's uh, one of very few shows that Henry watches that I watch. I'm like, that's that's fucking this SpongeBob guy's funny. (laughs) Um, hey. Thank you for making me. This was an incredibly, this is a deeply nostalgic episode. Yeah, it was. Uh, thank you. I mean, we even talked about caves, which is just old holes. <laughs> thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. And one last time, MaximumFun.org slash join. Please think about supporting us and uh, the other shows that you listen to on the network. And uh, look at all the different pledge levels and yeah, it, we, we thank you all very much. There's been lots of folks who have turned out already. And if you haven't and you like our shows and you rely on them for entertainment or, you know, whatever, think about uh, helping us out.
0: Yeah. And if, you, and if you're if you not able to at this time, uh, feel free to just tweet about the uh, hashtag MaxFunDrive yeah, sure. to let your friends know in case they're able to give right now.
1: Uh, I think that's it. Let's uh, stop recording and go about our days. Um gonna gonna eat, I'm gonna eat a hot dog.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, what are you going to
0: do? Uh, I'm going to listen to you complain about eating a hot pocket
1: later. <laughs> I said a hot dog, but I do love <laughs> that you the way you connect me, the like me that lives in your brain. I could say like I'm going to go eat a steak and you'll be like, "Oh, a hot pocket." Huh? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs>